what are the ways to use these new operating models of hiring from anywhere in the world or being able to work temporarily in the world, which bring with it tax risks, for example, such as permanent establishment, income tax, and also employment law and whatnot, as, uh, as well as the immigration challenges. You're listening to episode 24 of the Happy Space podcast. Today, we're exploring how we need to consider borders when working around the world with Work From Anywhere CEO and co-founder, John Lee. Welcome to the Happy Space Podcast, where productivity meets inclusivity, and everyone gets things done. Hello, I'm Claire Kumar, highly sensitive executive coach, speaker, and your host. Studies show that diversity leads to better business outcomes. So doesn't it make sense to invite everyone's richest contribution? Yet too many people are invited to burn out or opt out, and we are squandering talent. On this show, we'll explore a two-part solution. Part one, cultivating sustainable performance, the individual design of work and life to preserve our energy so we can keep contributing. And two, designing inclusive performance, the design of spaces, cultures, products, and services which invite the richest participation. I hope you enjoy these conversations and find inspiration and encouragement for everyone deserves a happy space. Okay, Ellie, are you here for the intro again? All right, Ellie's joining me. Uh, this time, you know, we're talking about really remote work. We've seen a dramatic rise in the number of people working from home during the pandemic. But what of all of those people who are working really remotely, expats, and you've heard the term digital nomads, what's going on there? As organizations who want to draw from globally diverse talent, this rich talent pool that looking broadly will inherently bring to an organization, you've also got to be careful to manage the risk and stay on the right side of the law. Joining me today is the co-founder of Work From Anywhere and remote work compliance specialist, John Lee. John has already launched a startup. Uh, you'll hear him tell that story in our conversation. And so he brings this startup knowledge and expertise to a, an organization now that is going to help organizations and individuals assess and manage the risk around compliance and around remote work. Um, his mission is to make work and hire from anywhere a possibility for as many people as possible. And why you can hear in our story, our conversation that John talks about living his dream now. He's traveled internationally through work and personally with his family. He's landed in Queixcaix, uh, Portugal, where he joins us. You'll hear this uh, native Irishman's boundless energy and optimism. And you'll know that he has landed very much in what he has found to be his happy space. Uh, I hope you'll enjoy as John shares what individuals and organizations must consider when it comes to remote work, the demographic shifts that will influence our future along with remote work. We're seeing global migration and of course, AI is very heavily on the scene and we're seeing how that evolves. You can also learn how you can get a quick answer to complex questions about managing the risk around remote work. Enjoy. Okay, John Lee, thanks so much for joining me virtually this time, not like we did a meeting at 
the most marvelous little cafe and radio station in Cascais when I saw you back in, I think it was February. Right, it was Lucifonica. It was Lucifonica, some of the best coffee in this neck of the woods of, uh, of Cascais Center. It was great to see you. We had a, you had a really, really wonderful couple of days there. I did. I lucked out and it helped me understand a little bit. I mean, I followed you for some time before we met in person. I think we connected on LinkedIn in this mm-hmm. conversation around remote work. And I was drawn immediately to the subject that you dive into, your energy in bringing people together in a series you were, you were doing on LinkedIn around working from anywhere, which is the name of your company, which is amazing. And it, it helped me understand a little bit more about you and your mission. I thought we might start a little bit there, just connecting your journey to what you're doing now as the, as the co-founder of Work From Anywhere. Yeah, sure. So I guess you've got to go back through you know, my career. And even before I, I started working, I was in college and I remember going to a number of entrepreneurial talks and a lot of the entrepreneurs had talked about how for them, those that didn't have a finance background, it was like operating with one hand side behind your back. And so that kind of gave me the insight that in many ways, one of the key languages of business is understanding finance. And so for me, I was interested in going into business. And, and so that's what I did. I basically did a master's in accounting after my commerce, uh, let's say, degree. Part of that commerce degree involved me living abroad in Germany for a year on Erasmus, which I kind of recommend highly enough. But anyway, I did a master's in accounting in business school. And then went straight into Deloitte to become a chartered accountant. So I spent three years there in Deloitte. And during that time, I spent a lot of time working for a company called CRH. They're a Fortune 500 company, Ireland's biggest company. And it was a wonderful experience getting to work with them. So much so that I ended up working directly in CRH for seven years. And then during that period, I got the opportunity to do various different things from internal control, then moving over to business control, then uh, let's say, uh, financial accounting and ultimately work our way up through the, the different divisions and became the senior finance leader of a $4 billion division. And so during all that period, a kind of 10-year period of Deloitte and CRH, I got to visit over 150 locations across Europe and the world uh, over that 10-year period and really got to see on the ground a lot of the challenges, you know, with operations, with different cultures, with tax, with legal uh, different aspects like that. And of course, I, I moved abroad myself. I had done so multiple times already. I'd moved abroad, for example, to the Netherlands. So I'd been the expat. So right. all of those things, those challenges then afforded me a lot of the insights, a lot of the knowledge that I've been able to gain and deploy in Work From Anywhere, which is a platform to help companies get to the quick answers about what are the ways to use these new operating models of hiring from anywhere in the world or being able to work temporarily in the world, which bring with it tax risks, for example, such as permanent establishment, income tax, and also employment law and whatnot, as uh, as well as the immigration challenges. And so we basically, within 60 seconds, give companies that answer to those work from anywhere and hire from anywhere challenges. But I also to go back then, before work from anywhere, I did my first startup with my wife called Culture Me. I was an intercultural platform. I was very passionate and still am extremely passionate about the beauty of cultural intelligence and dealing with different national cultures and how you can use data models to help you, you know, in a remote work context or, or whatnot, to be able to navigate these different cultures. That was an interesting experience because that was my first, let's say, dive into technology. I'd never built an app and never built an API before. We ended up winning Best Travel Technology Product in the World, the Global Youth Travel Awards in 2018, pivoted to business travel because that's where the market was taking us. I launched the product in the middle of, of 2019 in the US, got a great reaction. We're in the middle of fantastic discussions. And then COVID came, 
and humbled, humbled all of us. And so that was quite a difficult moment to, to deal with that. I needed to take six months to let the mind, body, heart and soul recover. But then two and a half years ago, work from anywhere team, uh, that whole business, that whole idea, that concept work from anywhere really took off. And, and that's where that journey came and kind of originated, let's say, and that's where we are today. Well, it sure did. And amazing. You know, we talk a lot about the word pivot. And what I what I love in what you said is you took time for the mind, body, soul, and heart to heal and adjust. And then you were ready to jump on. I mean, culture, the startup world is is a pretty intense place to be. So to, to move from one to the other uh, with a bit of a break, I celebrate that. And you really, I mean, we've really seen a shift. I think before the pandemic, we had about 4% of people working from home, never mind really remotely, which is what I, what I look at this as. And just personally connecting to this and your mission, I'm someone who, who I worked for three years at Nortel, and then I put everything in my friend's basement, God lover. And I backpacked around the world for 11 months because I had a real itch to travel. And I really thought, you know what, I, I want, really want to combine my working life with my curiosity about the world. I had an expat um, stint. Actually, no, sorry, I didn't. I was the follow-on spouse of, of my then husband in Tokyo for three years. So I've lived a little bit and I, I kind of thought we would continue doing this nomadic lifestyle and we would move from country to country. And then 2001 and happened. So I know what you mean about, you know, you're, you have a plan, you think something's going to go and then things change. But coming back to what you're noticing, so we had 4% of people working from home before. What are we noticing now in terms of I'm going to say unleashed this, you know, whether it's millennials realizing that they deserve a fulfilling life and it's about experience, not just paycheck. What, what are you think is driving this and what are you seeing in the trends for people to want to work really remotely? So it's, uh, it's, if you look into the data, there's so many different kind of subtypes or identities within you know, international remote work and digital nomadism. And the first thing to say is that a remote worker and a digital nomad, they're not the same. They get mixed up quite a lot and probably made worse by the fact that countries call you know, digital nomad visas, digital nomad visas, when they're not actually attracting digital nomads, they're actually going after remote workers. So that's the first thing to, to say. But I mean, ultimately, if you look at the deep motivations. Well, can I just pause you there? And can, just because our listeners are probably going, wait a second, I thought they were the same thing. Can you, could, before you go forward, can you just explain those two really quickly for us? Yeah, I can do. So uh, let's say I'm in the US and I'm working in New York and all of a sudden my employer allows me to work from home in New York or it could be Massachusetts or wherever nearby. Uh, I'm a remote worker. Yeah. Um, if I decide to go work remotely abroad for maybe a month or two, I'm a remote worker who's working internationally or international worker, whatever you want to do or call it a workation. Digital nomad though is very different. Today's episode of the Happy Space podcast is sponsored by ClaireKumar.com. With sensitivity, curiosity, and courage, I serve three groups asking the tough questions that lead to meaningful answers. Number one, I coach ambitious leaders to design for well-being and achieve next-level work-life integration. Number two, I mic drop thought bombs, that's bombs as in B-A-L-M-S, in keynotes and workshops, helping organizations achieve the business imperative that is inclusivity. 
And three, I collaborate with brands concerned with respect for well-being on product design, marketing, and PR. If any of this piqued your interest, come find me at clairekumar.com. I'd love to speak with you. Designing inclusive performance together will lead to the richest results. They tend to be people that are continually on the move. They tend to be location dependent. They tend to be people that are going from country to country, you know, moving every one, two, three, or four months. Really depends. It varies basically. Um, and that's a, if you think of the, the global market that's out there, people that are digital nomads, there's probably maybe somewhere between 10 and 30 million of them globally at the moment. Yeah. But if you look at remote workers, well, there are, give or take, take your pick, I mean, four or 500 million more, depending of, uh, of the, the different statistics that you take. So the order of magnitude remote workers is much bigger than, let's say, digital nomads. Um, yeah. and, and remote workers are, if you look at, for example, American Airlines, they published some data that uh, pre-pandemic, 20 to 25% of their trips were what you called mixed trips, mixed between leisure and business. Uh, whereas now it's between, in the, the last year, it's, it's close to 50 to 55%. Um, so the original purpose of the trip is probably still the same. It's just that on a business trip, you might tag on a couple of days of leisure, weeks of leisure, or on a yeah. leisure trip, you might tag on a week or two working there as well. So yeah, that's I'm immediately, I'm immediately thinking, how can I travel and write off the trip and have it be legit? That's exactly one of my questions. We'll have to talk about that too. Sure, but, ab yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Happy to, happy to. Um, coming back to, because I interrupted you with that definition then. So coming back to then what you're noticing and this sort of misnomer of marketing to digital nomads, but really talking about remote workers. What are you noticing then now? So one of the things is that is you kind of got to start from the very, very top of the hierarchy. And essentially, international remote work and digitalism is, uh, well, certainly international remote work in any case, is a subsection of remote work more generally. So I guess starting from the foundational aspect, where is remote work going? And if you look at the discussion, probably one of the best data points on this is from a guy called Nick, Nick Bloom. Yeah. He's got wonderful data sets on remote work. And if you look at his data, he looks at transit data in the US and look at the metro uh, transit systems. And what you can see from that yeah. data is it does appear to be that February 2023 was what they called peak return to office. So we went with literally went totally practically 100% remote work with COVID. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it gradually then as COVID opened up that lessened and lessened and lessened uh, over time basically. And it really feels like we're now at a pretty stable platform where we'll probably be on, on the percentage that we're at for a little while. But what I expect to see happening is that as, you know, companies develop the organizational muscle and learnings to get mm -hmm. better above, then that'll probably go up in tandem with the fact that a lot of companies were tied into long-term real estate leases that they couldn't exit too quickly. So for them, you know, it was more or less, let's bring them back anyway. We have this office space, we need to use it, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and as well, I think uh, that kind of knowledge of learning how to do remote work better. If you think of pre-pandemic, were we all happy with how companies manage Probably not. And we had had hundreds of years of practicing it. So it's probably incorrect assumption to think that everyone would get remote work, you know, within the first year or two. It will be a multi-year, a multi-decade journey to perfect this. But the great thing is that there are companies out there that are setting a fantastic example. So whatever's right for you, be it hybrid or in office or fully remote, there's really good best practices and models out there to show companies how to do this right. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, one of the big challenges I'm seeing still, and maybe it's because of real estate is there, but it's sort of the status quo bias. There was an article in Vox um, this week about about talking about that sort of just comfort with what we know already. Thank you very much. So the leaders, there are a certain number of leaders that are in place that are just like, can I just press rewind? Because I knew how that worked, right? Um, what are you, are you sensing a shift in mindset with a, an openness to this? Or what are you noticing in terms of yeah, leadership I think mindset? It does a, there's a multitude of different things that are happening at the moment. One of the things that's happening is that some companies are announcing return to office as a way of making people leave the organization without having to pay them redundancy or the termination payments, for example. So mm -hmm. that's something in that you're definitely seeing is a factor. But I think fundamentally, you know, this trend, certainly I believe this trend towards flexibility towards people, I mean, like I give you my own personal anecdote and, and we all have examples and I suppose you could use anecdotes whichever way you want. But from my own personal experience is for me as a dad, you know, having my kids be able to come in, my two-year-old be able to open the door, come in and give me a hug while I'm working during the day. I mean, that is absolutely priceless. Is there any job that any company could pay me anything to sacrifice that? You know, for me personally, no, I'm sorry. You could put it, I, the biggest check in the world. I'm like, no, at that time that I get when I'm seeing my kids grow up in front of me, and that access to them, you know, for me and my values, it's yeah. something that gives me a huge amount of energy. For a lot of people like that, but also people with disabilities. You know, some people with disabilities are people that are neurodivergent, for example, or people that are um, have uh, from different backgrounds. It can be extremely powerful enabler. And, and I, feel, I think there was really good data that Nick Bloom did, did that basically said the countries that have the most flexibility for remote work, they tend to be the ones that have outperformed economically over yeah. the last number of years. So. I think it's not just ourselves, individuals, companies, but also countries, you know, are slowly but surely coming to that realization as well, I guess. Yeah, I think slowly. And it, it's great to make that connection. You know, I talk a lot about flexibility is inclusivity and productivity is personal. These, these kind of thoughts that I hope are transcending. I've just seen leaders that I know personally in the last few weeks and months make decisions that are completely counter to this kind of openness to flexibility. So part of my mission is actually inviting conversations that need to happen to connect it and, and make people less fearful of really truly understanding each other and what works, right? Well, yeah, 100%. I think to be fair as well, we also have got to recognize that, you know, some companies, they went to a hybrid or remote and maybe they didn't do a great job. And instead of, you know, there's a great saying Kate Lister gave recently, and she said, remote work doesn't create the problems, it reveals them. So it, right. there's no doubt about it that moving to a remote, let's say, or hybrid even, you've got two cultures you've got to manage. You've got the, the physical and office culture, and you've got, the, in many ways, the remote or hybrid, let's say, environment as well. And, and, mm -hmm. and how do you manage trust in that environment? How do you manage flexibility? How do you, how do you manage those competing elements? It's definitely, it requires an elevated skill set. And I guess for some companies and some leaders, if they went, for example, to hybrid, Maybe for them, they just didn't have the right training or capability in place, didn't do a great job. And of course, they blame, they blame the concept of then hybrid or remote, for example, and then try and pull people back in. But then I think it's also, to be fair, I mean, it shows better training. Companies can get this right. But then I think it's also fair as well that for some companies, you know, remote doesn't work. And for them, they want to be more limited hybrid or fully in office. Yeah. And that's the right. I mean, for them, it's a, it's a kind of a, it's a decision. But for, certainly for me personally, uh, not in a million years would I work with a company that said, sorry, you're going to be in the office five days a week. I mean, those days for me, and I guess for many others, are gone. Yeah, 
Absolutely. My own story talks to that and leaving because of sensitivity to the overwhelm of the construct of having to not only be in the office, but get to the office. The commute and the commute that you're inviting people to consider, especially in the line of immune compromisation, the things like that is, is there's many layers to sort of acknowledge the ask that we're making people to make. And yes, organizations, you're right. They have uh, an ability now. And it's interesting, though, as we see leadership change, you had Salesforce that was really like, yes, work from anywhere. We'll bring you together quarterly. And now we want you back in the office three days a week. So we're seeing it's really leader driven. And so it's I'm keeping my ear close to the ground on the sensibilities that leaders have and the openness and trying to sort of say the door is open. Let's have a conversation to be not afraid of getting to know our employees and the complexity. Hybrid is harder. I say that a bunch. Hybrid is harder. And nuance is necessary. And guess what? In a hustle culture, we need patience. Uh-oh. <laughs> I, I, I tell you some percent there. And one very, you know, one very um very good example of that is I think it's fair to say that when you're moving to hybrid or remote, how you manage and onboard um, you know, new employees, particularly younger ones, mm-hmm. there's a there's definitely a potential blind spot there that requires a real intent and focus and discipline an effort to to get right. Um, and I think what also yes. is clear is even the best remote companies, they place a lot of effort, a lot of emphasis and focus on meeting in person. Um, yeah. So it's not just because you meet remote, that's it. We're going for remote. They place a lot of effort. A great example, Lyda Hobelsberg-Laven from um, from Europe, she mentioned that uh, on-site is the new off-site. So meet yes, on-site. that's office. right. And actually, you know, even if you're remote or hybrid, intentionality of what you do in the office and how you use it and how you use it to connect the glue and the culture. Yeah. But again, that means a completely different office experience and purpose and whatnot, you know? Yeah. So I think it is, it, there's some of the gaps that as a community, everyone trying to, we're trying to work towards seeing how we, um, how we deal with that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a redefinition of the space and what we do there and greater intentionality is required. And I just want to, you know, you said elevated skill set. Absolutely. We're not teaching our kids how to organize and plan and communicate around conflict. We need to, like, it it needs to be done in the school. So by the time we get to the work world, we have a little experience with this. I only see it in, you know, individual education plans for people that have been diagnosed. You know, it's it's like everybody needs this skill. So leaders who are feeling like, oh my God, this is overwhelming and I need, you know, I need something. There are there are coaches out there. This is the work I do, but there are a lot of people out there trying to build that skill set. And so don't feel shame about it. And don't let the the fear of the conversation and the complexity keep you stuck in that bias that, okay, I just want everybody back because it was easier. I talk about a leadership sort of quest for convenience. And I think there's mm-hmm. sort of the battle for not only convenience, but that rich, full life. So uh, I want to jump now because this is so Go interesting to me. What are you seeing now from countries and policies that are around there trying to say, come work here. We'll make it easier for you from a tax perspective from the country to go to. Uh, what are you seeing now in terms of companies or countries that are saying, hey, look at us. We've got something to offer. Well, I, I mean, I think what we're seeing now is some of the greatest disruption international tax systems in, you know, I don't know, easily 20, 30 years, I suspect. We had a tremendous amount of disruption in the 1990s where a lot of countries used corporation tax to get companies to you know, open up offices in different countries, and then that would bring the talent. Um, 
that model is being upended a bit at the moment because it, it, just because some company has uh, you know cut the ribbon on a head up on an office space in a particular country, is it going to necessarily bring the talent from all the world there? Not necessarily, not necessarily. And so what you find is that some countries use low corporation tax to bring the companies and then that would automatically bring the talent. But the challenge now is, for example, some of those it's countries broken. that have low corporation tax, they also have medium to high, if not very high, individual income tax rates, for example. So right. the problem is with the, when you actually have a truly mobile workforce, they can choose to work for you or for somebody else and they can choose where they want to work. In a market where there is structurally low unemployment, obviously heading to a recession, maybe there's a, there's a, it's, a, it's a slightly different ballgame. But in general, over the long run, I think what it means then for countries and those ecosystems of, of taxes and how you manage that is that ultimately it probably means a potentially long-term more rebalanced taxation system in a number of countries, for example, where you may have to structurally increase corporation tax, you may have to bring individual income tax down. And we're already seeing this with, for example, digital nomad visas. Number of digital nomad visas, they offer 0%, let's say, income tax in that country. There are a couple of provisos with that. There are a couple of terms and conditions, for example. But then we're also seeing outside that, there's also some countries that offer tax incentives beyond that, for example, to get individuals to relocate to those countries. And so I think this is one of the ones where, you know, especially in countries that are very developed, but have a high cost, have a high cost, particularly for real estate, seems to be a real challenge. Yeah. That in those countries that have high real estate costs and also have high marginal tax for individual taxes, they're the ones that there's going to be quite a high incentive quite quickly for people to relocate if they don't feel that they're able to get the value for money for, for that taxation system. So for me, I don't know where this goes. I don't know what the answers are to this. I think I'm not a believer that we should go the same route individual tax like we did with corporation tax. A race to the bottom is not in society's interest. We need to be able to pay for our schools and our hostels. It needs to be done in a way that's fair and equitable. And so, But I, I am fascinated in this discussion trying to find that right balance and for countries trying to find that right balance. But I do think with remote work, it definitely is a massive opportunity for those countries that can be the early adopters. Fascinating. Yeah, I hadn't, hadn't thought about the dynamics have changed now that workers can go anywhere. That that ad, corporate tax advantage is no longer a leverage. And it's interesting. We look at it even domestically, you know, you know, a lot of tax incentives to build an office or a manufacturing plant, and that will draw workers. Wait a second. Depends what it is. Maybe, yes, if they need to be in person, yes, it, it can be magnetic. But then the construct, I live in Toronto and Real estate expenses are significant. We saw a mass migration out across the country. And I always thought, this is where my plan got foiled. I thought, just have real estate in Toronto. Eventually, you'll be able to go anywhere you want. Not true. No longer true. I mean, that's real estate is why I'm here in Portugal. Um, mm -hmm. And it's also a challenge here in Portugal for many people as well. So I was in Ireland. I was renting a lovely house in Ireland with the five of us. Uh, my wife uh, Dee, and our three kids and then the owner wanted to move back in that's no problem back at the time in Ireland there was only 800 properties available for rent in a country of 5 million people you wouldn't believe it yeah 800 wow. and you can imagine like, of the 800 there was probably four or 500 of them not in fit condition and of course now we're a family of literally five and yeah. it was it was it was 
really, really odd time. Uh, they're working through those challenges in Ireland. They'll fix them over the long run, all going well. Um, but but that's the case in a lot of different countries. So you know, we found with COVID, there was a massive pullback in construction. So obviously the supply just wasn't there, pushed up the prices. And so that we looked at basically moving everywhere in the world. We said, what would be a nice country to move to? And places like, for example, Thailand, Croatia, and then Portugal looked really, really good. And we moved here to Portugal. We've been absolutely loving it. But certainly here in Lisbon, there's been some localized property price challenges as well here in, in, in this part of the world to a degree. So it's one of those ones where yeah, property really has a major role to play in this as well, together with that whole tax incentives and structure. Absolutely. Uh, well, before we started the interview, we were just talking lightly around the demographic changes that are happening in the world, immigration, ma you know, the mass shifts, the aging of the population. Do you want to talk to that a little bit? I'm, I'm really curious your insights as to how that's shaping things. I mean, you mentioned that we might be in going towards recession. I know uh, different countries have different, um, we're rather low unemployment rates here. South Africa is at high unemployment. So can you talk to those bigger demographic shifts? And, and I, 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 definitely, I definitely can. And I'm just sharing a, a link with you that you might find helpful to share with the listeners maybe afterwards. But it's, a, mm -hmm. it's basically a study from the World Economic Forum that talks about the demographic changes and where the next billion educated wor workers are, are going to come from. And I think that's the, the one that really caught my attention. And what you see basically is that over the next 20 years, a huge amount of uh, new people coming into the workforce, like want to come from places like Africa, like Asia, like South Central America and the Caribbean. You see in Africa alone, there's going to be 144% of an increase in the number of people coming, let's say that are educated workers coming from, from Africa. So yeah, that's going to have a, a huge shift. If you talk about the, the biggest shifts when you talk about the future of work, the ones that jump out for me are the intersectionality of Global migration, also the fact that, for example, remote work, which is driving a lot of that, is having a massive impact. And then and looking at it from AI as well, the impact of, of AI. So the, the mixture of remote work, migration, and sourcing of talent as well, and geo-arbitrage, both for individuals and for companies. But then linking that then to AI, I think will be uh, fascinating to see how all that plays out, because that will bring it with us a tremendous amount of personal opportunities, but also it's going to be a firm of the challenges. And I think in particular for governments to try and re retrain and reskill people as well quickly, we could see what outsourcing of, of, of categories of, of work in the 1990s and 2000s did and mm -hmm. how that led to indirectly a, a second and third, uh, let's say, degree impact of, of political instability 10, 20 years down the line. What will this mean for, for our world? How will we handle that? And how will we proactively address that? There's some of the, of the that's demographic changes. And you, you put then you know, aspects like the uh, in a lot of the, uh, the Western world, for example, developed world where you see a lot of the aging population trying to deal with that as well. That's an, another aspect. But for me, I'm a, very much an optimist. For me, I feel these are challenges, but I feel that we've also got you know, the uh, younger generation coming through, some of those capable people ever, like some of those technology savvy people that are coming through as well. So I see a lot of opportunities for countries to get this right, but at the same time, plenty of challenges for us to navigate. And we haven't even talked climate. <laughs> so <laughs> Climate, massive. Yeah, elephant in the room. Completely agree. No, you, you hit the nail on the head, 100%. Yeah. 
Yeah. When I'm talking to leaders now, I'm saying, so you've got your profit objective, so on. Where is DEI fitting in? And what about the environment when you're saying everybody needs to resume their commute? You know, how can we just, just we, we can't look at things individually now. We have to really look at things systemically. Um, yeah. yeah. So just, you know, I think we'll close out with um, maybe a little bit of people understanding a little bit more about what Work From Anywhere offers and the kind of clients you're working with. So that if anybody's listening out there, if this is for you, definitely reach out to John or share with those in your network who are struggling with some of these questions because John's got a lot of answers. Yeah, so typically you work with large, mid to large size companies, companies between you know, 1,000 to 50,000 employees. And they typically are companies that are struggling with how do they adapt to these new operating models of wanting to hire somebody from a different country. Should you use an employer of record or not or hire somebody's independent contractor or open legal entity? And those challenges are complex. Or likewise, somebody wants to temporarily work in a different country. What about a digital visa? Can you use it, for example? So we have a technology platform that automates all of the risks for this and the decision-making of what you should do. And that's the major advantage of it. It saves you having to go to external advisors every time and gives you the decision point right at your fingertips again in less than 60 seconds. So that's what we do. And if anyone wants to visit the website, they can visit us at wfa.team. Wfa.team. And uh, yeah, you'll find, you'll get to meet John. You'll get to see a picture of him and his little one, one of the little ones, and and meet his partner as well. So yeah, I urge you to check that out. You could, you've heard from this conversation, John is a wealth of knowledge and sort of looking very holistically at the challenge and the op opportunity with total optimism, which is one of the things I absolutely love about you, John. Thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you spending time and sharing Thanks your Thanks so insights. much. It was a pleasure, Claire. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, my great pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. You can find all of the Happy Space Podcast episodes over at happyspacepod.com. That is also where you'll find a link to our online community. Please leave a review over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. And if you liked what you heard, please share. After all, doesn't everyone deserve a happy space?